Hey, what's up? This is Kevin from Kevin's Barbecue Joints, and welcome to episode 7 of the Wine and Barbecue Podcast. This one is an awesome episode. This is episode 7 of Wine and Barbecue with my co-host Aaron Fegis from Fegis Barbecue in Houston, Texas. They have two locations, Spring Branch as well as Greenway Plaza. But our guest this week is sommelier Jeff Porter. A wine and barbecue thread that he has is that he worked with Billy Durney, from Hometown Barbecue on creating their wine menu as well as for Red Hook Tavern. In this interview, we go back to the very beginning. He was born in Texas. We talk about his time in Texas. We talk about working at the wine shop at Central Market in Austin. And then throughout the way, we bump around to Los Angeles, to Oakland, to Napa, back down to Los Angeles, where he worked with Nancy Silverton, and then to New York, where he now lives. He now lives in Brooklyn. We talk about his experiences there. And they sort of overlap Aaron's experiences. So that that's really interesting. This one is great because with my regular show, if you watch my regular show, I'm the only one interviewing. In this one, we have Aaron, who's so knowledgeable and so wonderful, I can kind of sit back and just enjoy the two of them, she and the guests, talking. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy this so much. First off, we laugh so much through this interview. He is so funny, so deadpan, so sarcastic, so intelligent, yet humble. He definitely is the kind of person you want to sit down with a glass of wine or four and talk and share barbecue or food. He this is a great guy. So this was this one is a lot of fun. You're really going to enjoy this. He has been the ambassador for Chianti Classico since 2016. He currently works for the Brooklyn Nets, setting up the restaurant with Barclay Center, and he's also working on a number of other projects with them. And as of August of this year, which is 2022, if you're listening to it this year, he is the wine enthusiast editor for Northern Italy. If you're interested in setting up a wine program at your restaurant, send him a message. I'll put all of his information below, but Aaron and I can't thank him enough for taking the time out of his schedule. He's a busy guy, like he flew out the very next day to a week or two away from home, bouncing back and forth across the country. So we can't thank him enough for taking the time, sharing the fun, sharing the knowledge, and touching upon subjects that we haven't talked about in other interviews. So if you're enjoying these, please subscribe. We put out one of these a month. We have seven. This is our seventh so far. They're all at youtube.com slash Kevin's BBQ Joints. You can find them all, all the wine and barbecue episodes. Every month we get into specials and events and things that Aaron and Patrick are putting on at Fiji's Barbecue Spring Branch. At the end, stay safe. Thank you guys for listening and enjoy. I feel like we've been Facebook friends for a long time. Yeah. I thought maybe we worked together because we definitely have a lot of intersecting paths, but right. I, I feel like we probably weren't at the same place at the same time, but we definitely have, there is, we have definitely been in the same room. Yes, exactly. I am sure of it. Yeah, it, sound, it seemed like when I was reading your bio, a while back that there's a, so much overlap between the two of you guys. I, yeah. I'd be surprised if you weren't even in the actual same room right. at, the same time, at one point, not knowing. So, I take it you're from North Dallas. I was born in Clear Lake, or Webster, Texas, so South Houston. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I'll just give you the whole rundown. So my Texas roots. My mom's from upstate New York. My dad's from Arizona. They met in the 60s because both their parents ancillarily worked for NASA. Um, that's awesome and so my mom actually my my mom's dad worked worked for nasa so he came to they came to houston in 63 before like johnson state space center was a thing or even built so i'm not a generational texan i'm just a texan like first gen and uh so born in webster then we moved to clear uh, not clear like we moved to um, corpus christi uh, when i was a baby and then we moved to college station and then we moved to Louisville, north of dallas and south of denton and then we moved to the far western side of Flower Mound, so closer to I-35W. 
<laughs> These were, we, we, were, we guessed we did a guess as to where you were from and I said flower mound randomly and she yeah okay. I said how do you even know what flower mound is and he knows one person from Texas and they live in flower mound that's hilarious yeah. he, I'm sorry he he knows one non-barbecue person from Texas yeah, and he yeah. goes yeah my friend lives in flower mound I'm like that's so random. so when we when we moved to flower mound in 89 so we moved to Louisville in 80 four, I think there was like 5,000 people there. And then when we moved to Flower Mound in 89, there were 6,000 people. Wow. And now it's like a, now it's all one, everything has grown. It's all connected. There's like my, I have a lot of family that lives in Denton and there's no gaps space on the drive from Dallas to Denton anymore. I mean, you used to drive through the country Mm -hmm. and you don't now you're just like, it's just a bunch of chilies and then again until you get there and we we when I used to drive like so when I drove from my and we were on the far far western edge of Flower Mound so literally right before it turned to I-35 it's like the northern part of Lake Grapevine I would drive my I had a truck of course to high school and it was a 30 minute commute just one way with no traffic yeah I mean like it was the boonies and yeah I mean it was like it was interesting because I I my house was the country lifestyle because like I would, I could ride my mountain bike through some trails, go swimming in the lake. I shoot guns in my backyard. And then, um, you know, where my friends mainly lived was more suburban, like in Highland, it's called Highland village, where most of my friends live. And then they'd have access to I-35W and then all their parents worked in like North Dallas or Plano or something like that. Did you enjoy that lifestyle? I didn't know any, I mean, like I, I, always wanted to leave Texas. I, I just, I didn't, I loved my friends, but I, I just knew there was a bigger world out there and I wanted to be a part of it. Flower Mound wasn't it. And like, I tried my best to get out through college, but I didn't get accepted to very many places outside of places in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the University of Texas and that took me to Austin. What did you and study there? I studied nutritional biochemistry. Oh my oh. gosh, I'm a biochem major. Oh, really? Yes. And I started out as uh, with a nutrition specialty at TCU, but then I transferred to tech and focused just on, just on biochem. molecular biochem. Wow. So I, I, um, I, my mom's a nurse practitioner and she used to run a, um, like a free clinic in Louisville and mm-hmm. like the, in the poor part of town. And so I used to work there with her um, growing up and I love medicine. And so I wanted to, I did pre-med and I, I chose because I, I was a really, really, I mean, I'm a big guy still, but I was a really fat kid. I got into nutrition and started losing weight. And I decided that, and I found out in, in medicine, they only, they don't teach nutrition really. And like five of the top 10 diseases that we contract as Americans are almost all nutrition related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So my whole goal was to become a general practitioner. Cause when I was a kid, I'd go to the general practitioners and they'd be like, you're fat. Literally, like no sugar coating, <laughs> assholey. You know, no complex here. Um, yeah, that's it. Helps so much. Thank you. And and then I'd be like, okay, what do you do? And they're like, well, eat less. I was like, well, fuck you. I'll go play football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not very helpful information. No. Were you planning on then being going to? Yeah, like I was a nutritionist med or all the a... way. Um, I I know I wanted to be a I wanted to be a general practitioner. I, oh, I be a gen- and then plant- with a but with like, a proper focus focus and Mm -hmm. and like at the time i I remember in college there was this author named or he's a doctor dr dr wild um based in arizona he 
he was a guy that really combined allopathic and Eastern medicine together um, or holistic medicine and, and, and with a nutrition focus. So I was like deep into that. And then I worked at a, at a, at a restaurant actually. Um, and this is actually in concurrence, like wine had just become a hobby. But one day I just, I, the light turned on. I was like, oh, I can, I can make wine a, a, like a business. If this is a thing, this people make money at this and the lifestyle seemed really good. And so I followed that passion did like a complete fork in the road right i mean i graduated i applied to medical school and the first try i didn't get in and i was like well let me take some time off i'm like burned out because my first semester in college i was like a straight edge super duper kid in high school like no no girlfriends nothing no drinking just i did i did all the activities i was the president of every club national honor society i did all the stuff to build my resume just worked my ass off and then i got to college and there was alcohol and girls and like a girl like Maybe girls had like in high school, like had sometimes come on to me, but I was so stupid and I didn't understand it. But in college, I got it. So my grades, my first semester were really bad. And then, so I spent the rest of college just like uh, nose to the gr grindstone and just to get a, a, get the GPA up. And then I was just so tired after I graduated. And I was just like, I'm just going to work at this wine shop full time. And there was a wine shop in Austin? In Austin, yeah. Oh, Central was it Market. a Central Market, okay, yeah. Yeah, the original one, 38th and Lamar, 1998. Wow. I've never actually stepped foot in at Central Market, but they what? look so gorgeous. What? And, uh, and I worked I worked for Kroger. Well, I, I opened up cheese shops, uh, Murray's Cheese. I worked for Murray's Cheese. Right. And so I opened up 18 cheese shops, but uh, all in California. But yeah. But well, there's Central, a, there are Central Markets in California. No, right? they're only in Texas. No. Really? Yeah, it's H-E-B. I knew it was H-E-B, but I, I could have sworn it. Okay, yeah. well, I'm There's wrong. Gelson's in California. Yeah, Gelson's, yeah. Gelson's. Which which is kind of like, but nothing is like Central Market is arguably the best grocery store on the planet. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those, maybe you're like that too, Jeff. And I just love supermarkets. I love like- I love I, every country I go to. Same with me. I go to grocery stores. I Because you, you uh, see culture. Mm -hmm. you, you have to see what's on the grocery shelf. How do yeah. people shop? Like I was just in Venice and the apartment we rented was next to this, uh, the Conad, which is a you know big chain of grocery stores there. So what does a Conad uh, look like in a- 2000 year old building right next to this apartment and it's like super small and like you just get what you need for the day and you think you know you get one bag allowance and mm -hmm. it was it's awesome yeah mm -hmm. when, I, when i lived in japan you shot for that day or the next day and it was just interesting to see what level they put things on and what right and how the breads are different yeah, I, was, I, I love grocery geek about that yeah, <laughs> me too so then so you so you worked at their wine shop at so yeah, I worked, I worked at the grocery, yeah, I worked in the wine shop uh, at that one. And so I got the job on my 21st birthday, January 21st, 1998, when I turned 21. And that's the day I got the job offer. I started three months before I knew I wanted to switch because I, I was working in a kitchen at a small family restaurant in Austin. I, I just worked a few days a week to prevent myself from partying. So my second semester freshman year, I got this job as a dishwasher at this German restaurant making like that they were famous for making schnitzels but I was a dishwasher and then I moved up to being finally a cook so I like I pounded the schnitzels um I'm a good schnitzel pounder and uh put that on your resume above the ambassador of Keelty you know, Classic I'm surprised that wasn't on the Charleston food and wine website schnitzel pounder. <laughs> um you can if you go to my ig so during during um during what's it called the thing we just had 
um, COVID? pandemic. Yeah. COVID. <laughs> I did, I did these shows called if I could do it. So I, I'd like cook things live with a friend of mine who'd be on the other end and drink wine. But I, I pounded a schnitzel during COVID. I hadn't done it in like 20 years. That's great. Did it turn out Was great? it like riding a bike? It's like riding a bike. Phil, you never lose. Just pound it out. I'll have to search that's that. A, that's that. a t-shirt. <laughs> Just pound it out in the back as a big schnitzel. It's actually, yeah. And every restaurant will have that shirt. That's, yeah. that's, I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll put a link below to that. So was it, was it a, like a little YouTube show? Or was it, it wasn't on the. It's on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's on Instagram. Um, on your, your reels or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the main feed because okay. um, that was before reels. I, I think, I don't know. Anyways. So I was working at this restaurant and the chef would give me a glass of wine. Uh, every night at the end because I think he felt bad for me and he's German he would just tell me a story and then I get really into the wine and then my dad sent me a book by Hugh Johnson called wine I was fascinated by it and so I, I was still doing it in with the idea that I'd go to medical school and then I just when I didn't get into medical school on the first try I was like you know I'm just gonna I just need to take a break and oh so that I, I screwed up that timeline I was working, I got into wine. And, and so I started hanging out at Central Market because I loved buying food there. And I, I made friends with the, the wine stewards, but I wasn't old enough to drink. And we'd like talk and like we'd hang out and they'd give me some wine on their days off. And then I was like, I'll do anything. And then they, as my birthday present, they gave me the job as the like box boy. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's, that's awesome. what I started. And, but then at, it was 1998. So I was just trying to tie it into barbecue, bar, the barbecue renaissance so to speak was like what worked 2009 is that yeah, yeah. it's much later than that yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. but barbecue like as a texan it's interesting like i barbecue not just the, the smoking but grilling open fire cooking ha has always been part of my lifestyle because of my family like my dad some of my fondest memories of being with my dad my mom because she worked for the school district too had the vocational uh high school for my dad's present one year make him an oil drum barbecue. Oh. And we had that in, like smoker in our, in our backyard. And it was awesome because it had a, a steel like cut out of Texas on it. I wish we still had it. Oh, that'd be so great I, to have. I wish I could find photos of it because it was awesome. But it was, it was just so plain Jane, like it was exactly what you'd want. And he, we, would, we would smoke brisket and my dad would smoke anything on it, ribs. And then also when my mom would go out of town, my dad and I would go to the old school butcher in Louisville, Texas. He'd buy like basically the Texas version of Bistecca Fiorentina and a head of broccoli and a big potato. And each of us would get one of those. No wonder oh. I had a weight problem, but it'd be like a 36 ounce steak, a whole head of broccoli and a whole potato with like cheese and everything on oh, it. That's so and I was just... so impressed that there was broccoli, that, that broccoli was <laughs> part of this. Because I feel like my husband would be like, why do you need the vegetable? Well, I mean, if you're going to eat a 38, 36 ounce steak, you got to get away to get it out. So <laughs> I think that was what my dad's thinking was. You might be stuck there. There's a logic. There's a, some logic to the whole <laughs> scenario. It's but just it, basically, you know, the plunger or the pusher. I'm not sure. <laughs> the That's another shirt. <laughs> Broccoli. <laughs> Yeah. the pusher a 36 ounce steak i'm trying to think what's the what's the big texan is that 96 ounces the 72 ounce no in, oh. in amarillo oh, 70, 72 yeah okay yeah. i drove by i couldn't convince we were did a american road trip last year and we drove by it and i was like can we stop she's like no she's <laughs> well, like, we, you, yes this will not she be knew, she knew you would have to eat it and then you'd basically just be sick for like the next couple of days oh yeah she's like this will not end well for you because i'm highly competitive and too and i would have done it 
and just probably puked my guts out. How did you get to San Francisco then? Wasn't that kind of your next? Well, I, I did a year. So I graduated in December 99 from UT. And then I decided just to do work full time at the wine shop and just kind of like have a fun time, which I did. And then I felt guilty. And so I applied for Teach for America. And so I got into Teach for America and my last choice was Los Angeles, California. And that's where they sent me. And so I taught high school for two years in Los Angeles. Where in Los Angeles? Um, in South Central uh, okay. near the Watts Towers. It was great. I was an amazing experience. It, 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 it did what it was supposed to do. You know, Teach for America always says that the goal isn't necessarily to make teachers. It's to make advocates and change people's lives. So they continually think. Um, about their decisions that will affect children. And, and it, it did for the rest of my life and it always will. And, uh, uh, and I loved it. What an experience. I missed wine more and I, money. I won't lie. You get paid like shit. So Everybody needs sucks. a little bit. And I, I, I had met a woman uh, who lived in the Bay Area. And so in 2002, I got a job with uh, the Henry Wine Group as a distributor out there. I moved up to Oakland. How long did you live there? I lived in the Bay Area from 02 to 09. And so I, I was very short-lived as a distributor because they put me in the corporate retail division, which is basically like a glorified um, duster mm -hmm. uh, at supermarkets. And I hated it. And I was doing a ride along. And the way I became a sommelier, I'd never worked the front of house in my entire life of a restaurant. Not once. Never served anybody shit. And someone said, oh, you've got really good energy. I like what you're saying, you should apply for this job at this restaurant called Trevina. Never heard of Trevina. Didn't know, didn't know diddly. I faxed my resume for the kids listening. <laughs> and uh, I got a call back and I went up to, uh, to St. Helena and I interviewed a bunch of times and I worked service there. And they're like, have you ever been a sommelier? I was like, sure. Um, and fake it till you make it. And I got, became a wine director at age 25 at a very famous restaurant that I had wow. no idea anything about had you ever been to napa and sonoma at all uh once yeah, yeah with my dad but it's true fake it till you make it you know i i think a few reasons they hired me versus some other more experienced people is one they were kind of cheap so i was cheap two i was it was one of those things where i always tell people when i'm in a position where i need to hire people i will take passion over knowledge any day knowledge of like or or experience because you can teach fundamentals you can't mm -hmm. teach someone to love something that's true. Yeah. That's a very good point. Did you go become a sommelier up there or? So I, yeah, I took my first quartermaster Somme thing. Um, it was funny. I took it in Alabama. So I flew, I could never get into the courses in um, San Francisco because they would always sell out really fast. And they were, and so uh, I found a course that was being taught at the Beau Rivage Casino in, it was, no, it was in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I flew to Biloxi, Mississippi, and I took the, my, my intro course there. I think I talked to someone that went, that took a course there. And I actually, in a past life with my dad, we sold furniture. We sold furniture to that oh, that's property. The, the Boerbosch. And they got destroyed in Katrina, I think. Mm -hmm. I think they um, did, yeah. But my favorite memory of that place, and just like, I think because barbecue represents like a, you know, well, Texas barbecue or any kind of barbecue represents a, a regional identity of food for that place. And, you know, on that, in that part of Mississippi, Louisiana, the Gulf Coast, like you have all those fish shacks. And I went to this amazing fish shack and I had a po' boy that, oh, 
I can still think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it was perfect. It was awesome too, because it was run by a Vietnamese family. And so they had an off menu pho that a server had told me about too. And so I got this like pho, I'd never had pho before. And I was like, what's that? It's like really good soup, try it. And so I tried it and it was like, blew my mind. I'm like in bumfuck Mississippi or where, whatever state. Um, yeah. yeah, it's Mississippi. I, I think you said Mississippi. No, I think it is Mississippi. I think that's where it is. But that's my, so, dis- <laughs> my disdain so for those states. So did you, so then you passed, did you pass the first time? Yeah, yeah, I passed, I passed the, I mean, that was just the, the intro course. Yeah. I mean, it was Yeah, like, the intro course is pretty easy. Yeah, they're like, what color is wine? I was like, well, it depends. <laughs> what do you put it in, a paper bag or a bottle? Both. <laughs> so that's my reason for not ever getting truly certified is there were all these people that were like hobbyists that were taking, you know, cause it's easy enough that like you can just like wine and then study for a little bit and then take the first level and, and pass. And I'm like, well, why would I pay all this money just to be certified on the same level as like anybody else? It doesn't really distinguish me. It's like the knowledge you have that distinguishes you. So like that rebelliousness is why I never got certified. And now I really wish that I had done it. Why, why do you wish you would have gotten certified? I think because it comes up often enough and I somehow feel like it might like legitimize me a little bit more. I don't really think that's true, but there's just certainly like times where I wish I could just answer yes. Like, oh yeah, I'm certified. Although in my mind, being level one certified doesn't, is not a really big distinguishing thing, but so many people don't know that. Right. Like, you know that, I know that, but like other people. But I don't necessarily know that. And I'm, I'm learning that I'm, my knowledge of wine is more of a, like a passionate knowledge of wine as well, as well as my, my knowledge of barbecue. And I think that, that I'm trying as, as these episodes, this is seven months in, I'm learning, learning more about wine. I just, I've, I've been to Napa and Sonoma and it's, and standing in there, it's like, I love, love wine, but it's just, I'm learning as, as you go, but I wouldn't know. So then how many levels are there? For people a thousand a thousand so I'm a thousand level is they're now four so four. when i when i started the the whole process there were three but they added a certified um so it goes intro which is for more of your hobbyists and and then you have the certified which is the one that's a little harder and then the advanced which is super hard and then the masters which is so for kevin the master is when somebody says like i'm a master sommelier mm-hmm. it's a very that is very distinguishing not a lot of uh, more so in the last like five ten years but prior to that it was a very 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 small number of people that had passed that that course and the test gets harder so like the first one that we say is for hobbyists is really easy mm-hmm. um i mean you could know very little about wine study for about two weeks and pass it but they get harder and they get harder exponentially so by the time you get to the fourth certification i mean it's years of of training and you can't just go into that it's it's something you really have to prepare for and a lot of people don't pass it um so it definitely like you have to take the first course to get to any of the other courses, but I just never felt like the first course was, I, I felt like I would always probably stop at the first course because this was prior to the, that second, in, like the course that was introduced. And I felt like it wouldn't have really distinguished me. I mean, what level, what level are you, Jeff? Me, I, I, I'm an advanced sommelier. So I took the master sommelier exam twice and I passed two parts. 
and then the time I was going to take it in 2014, um, there was a test that was offered in February and I was already, and my daughter, my first child, my only kid was going to be born in March, but she decided to come in January. Um, and she really wanted to be in the hospital. So, uh, I called and said, you know what? Hey, I can't go. And they were like, well, you have to, or you're going to reset. And I was like, you know, I, I have a kid in the NICU. I yeah, know, it's kind of a... not. And uh, they said, no. So I said, I guess I'm not going to be a master sommelier. You know what? That's the reason I'm not taking that certification. <laughs> I don't want any money going to that organization. I mean, I, I won't, I won't like, so this, this happened obviously 2014, the organization has changed. I still have pangs to want to do it, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm too, I'm too past. I'm too, yeah. I'm, I'm past the date. Like my, I'm expired for not, not just for like, it, it's just the studying. Like, yeah, when it's I, a time commitment. When I was studying, like it, it was, it was everything, my whole life, the amount of money I spent for tasting and all that stuff. And it's just, I made a decision too. And it was, it's the, it's the right thing because the one thing being a master sommelier, it's a jack of all trades and master of none when you're studying. And once you get the MS, I mean, it's, it's a great achievement. I have many friends who are master psalms and I I'm, I'm envious to a point uh, because it's something I, I, it was a, it was a thing that I had set for myself that I wanted to achieve, mm -hmm. but life, you know, life happens and it gets in the way. And, and, uh, but the decision I made after that is I wanted to become a person that in the United States, when someone thinks about Italian wine, I wanted to be in the conversation. I wanted it to oh. be, I wanted to be on someone's anywhere in the United States. I want someone mm -hmm. to think, Oh, Jeff Porter is the person you should talk to about that. And when I really dedicated myself to one region, it opened up a whole nother thing for me. And that that's, that's where some of the certification things get a little wonky because wine is so big, right? Yeah. And I think it's great to have a base level, but it's like college, right? So like you, you don't just get a, when you study biochemistry, you, you start a foundation of, you have to biology, you know, physiology, PCHEM, whatnot, mm -hmm. but then you specialize, right? Biochemistry is different than organic chemistry, which is different than like, you know, plain chemistry when you get into the upper, upper level. And we don't do that with wine. Like the, the pinnacle is like, you need to know how many grams of residual sugar are in a TBA, right? Like literally who, who cares? Yeah. Like let's, let's talk about the, you know, the historical ramifications of, you know, the fact that we call sh the Charmant method, the Charmant method, when it was really invented by an Italian named Marinotti. We had a really interesting conversation. We interviewed Raj previously, Raj Parr for the audience. And, you know, he gets a lot of credit for having this amazing palate and being really good at doing blind tastings. And when we asked him about it, he kind of laughed. He said, yeah, I mean, I used to be really good. It's a muscle. So like, I, like my muscle memory is probably okay, but I'm not as good as I used to be. But he said also 10 years ago when I was considered really good at it, things were very clearly classified, right? Like Chardonnay from a certain reason would taste always like this. He goes, there's so many more regions now. There's so much more experimentation. The lines are so blurred that obviously not, you know, the, the master song exam does try to keep things pretty classic, but if you were just to show up at a bar and somebody poured you a glass of something and said, what is it? Like it could literally be really hard to 
to distinguish because people are trying to do things differently, right. bring grapes to regions that they previously haven't existed. And so what's being put in bottles and poured into glasses is, is so vast now that like that, that idea and the notion that like, you know, a really good wine person can just sit down, close their eyes and like guess. I mean, that's not even really fair. Well, I, I hate the, I hate the blind tasting like game when people push it upon you. You're like, oh, you're a sommelier. What, what's this? And you're like, fuck yeah. if I know. <laughs> you're going to get lit. Like, come on. Like, relax. But it's true. It's like if I went to the, the barbecue restaurant and you poured me the Texas Sangiovese, I'd probably have a hell of a time figuring out what it is. Yeah. Um, and specifically know, where it's from. Yeah. It'd be a, yeah. a lot of, yeah, yeah. Some similarities in Sangiovese, but my, like when I think Sangiovese, I think of like very specific places. And there's a construct to that. And that construct would probably be blown away, which is, I would say, the coolest thing about wine. Yeah. And in the the beauty of where we are in the wine world today is that it is, it's become, you know, it's a bigger, broader world with so much more information, which makes it challenging, but also it's fun. Like as a as yeah. a as a person who just wants to always learn, it's super cool. Someone says, Hey Jeff. Have you seen what's been going on in Texas? Like, oh, I haven't tried tried the wines in a while. Let's let's try them. Oh, you know, there's a a group. There must be a tour right now in, in the country of Georgia, a wine tour, because like a lot of people in my Instagram feed are like, wow, we're in Tbilisi, blah blah blah. I was like, oh, that's really cool. like I want to learn more about Georgian wines. So I think I think that's really 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 awesome because you know a lot of these classic regions that we were all taught are so expensive now. They're so untouchable. Yeah. That you know, at the, at the end, it's, it's, it's just fun to explore and, and find new stuff. Well, and to your point, barbecue has done the same thing. Barbecue has expanded and changed. And there's a lot of um, people bringing their regional background and their ethnicity into barbecue. It's, so it's, so it's been elevated and changed and shifted and it, it mirrors that, you know, in a way. How, so then how did you end up in New York? And then New I was York in San Francisco. Uh, so I was, I was in Napa Valley and I got another job in San Francisco proper. And then I got a job in Los Angeles uh, at a place called Osteria Moza with Nancy Silver. Oh, you work with, okay, yeah. That's how you got connected to Joe, right? While I was there, yeah, with Joe. And while I was there, uh, the wine director at um, Del Posto left and Joe called me and said, do you want to come to Del Posto? I was like, yes. Because I've actually, since I was 13, my dad took me to New York City, he was 13 years old. I became a Mets fan and a lover of New York City. And my, my mom's from upstate New York. My grandma went to Pratt which was here in Brooklyn in 1933. She worked at Bergdorf Goodman's uh, oh. in, the, in the 30s. Um, my uncle, my grand uncle, so my mom's uncle, he worked at the United Nations right, when it, right after World War II, after he got out of the army or the army air corps or whatever. And then, so there's, there's family roots here. And so I just wanted to bring, I want, I've always wanted to be here, the energy, the, the passion, the intensity, the expense. Um, I wanted less for my money. And, and you're so in the I'm, right place. Yeah, exactly. And so that's how I got here through Del Posto. And uh, what was it like for like, and, and then when we're saying Joe is Joe Bastianich, mm-hmm. uh, it's, but when, what was it like working with Nancy Silver? Nancy's the best. Nancy's yeah. the greatest chef I've ever worked for. She's um, humble. She's an amazing presence. She's graceful. She's very, very kind, very faithful. And she is the best palate of any human being I've ever met in my life. Wow. 
That's amazing. I've I've watched I've sat at the bar and watched her make the mozzarella, make the the caprese, like just and, and just watching her interact with this is this is ages ago, seven eight years ago. But it was just such a it was just so wonderful just to even be in her presence. And she seemed like a kind soul. And then I've seen her on TV since. Right, she just seems like a sweet woman. She um hard work man. And it's awesome. And when she's on the line and she's in it, she's like making it and you watch her make bread or focaccia or, or, or any number of things that she's just like, when you eat what she, her hands have touched, it's just magic. It, it's your, your, your taste buds explode with so much joy. Her cookbook is by far my favorite cookbook to use because the recipes always turn out really good. Mm-hmm. And she is, she definitely has like a special touch. And to think I, like her path too is amazing. I mean, like she, was a, she was a trailblazer. I, I, I still to this day don't think she gets enough credit for what she's done for American food. I, I agree completely. So, but then going from there, then going to that restaurant group in New York, those are some heavy hitters there too. And those restaurants are big time. No, it was a, it was a, it was such a, 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 eyes wide open moment uh instead of eyes wide shut yeah, I was just like oh holy moly <laughs> yeah and the masks and the weird bacchanal <laughs> parties but you know it's interesting and it didn't hit me for a while but like coming from california even like working in napa and, and working in san francisco and working in la serving you know well-heeled people when you drive you drink different right or you should and so people don't go for it as hard and and then in California specifically, there's such a BYO culture that a lot of people bring their own stuff. But in New York, and you don't have to drive. You got a driver. You got there's taxis. There's a subway. Yeah, people go walking. after it. I mean, I've never sold a cocktail, then a bottle of champagne, a bottle of white wine, a bottle of red wine, dessert wine, then after dinner drinks, and that was commonplace. I think in 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 LA, uh, you, that was like one out of twenty <laughs> tables would like would do a real dining experience like that. That was a, that was a big moment. And then also like, you know, working at Del Posto too, where it was so high in still not at the beginning, realizing that you could go, you know, to four digits, mm-hmm. even high three digits. You're like, Oh, I sold a bottle for $120. And the rest of the Psalms look at me you're like, you're the wine director. What the hell's wrong? With you? <laughs> you could have sold that guy a thousand dollar bottle of wine, but it's like, look how happy he is. He's like, shut up, sell more. A lot. And right. there's also a different type of money in New York. There's there's that money here in LA, but I don't know if it's focused on every restaurant. It's, I think it's like so a, concentrated like a, in New York. I mean, there's obviously tons of money everywhere in this country, but the the amount of people who have that level of disposable income is is unbelievable. Like here, like something like this, like you know, you say a million dollars. So a million dollars is a ton of money, but like we all, I think, you know, because of Elon Musk and Amazon, we're hearing billions of this. And this guy's a billionaire. If you make a million dollars a year, that's about $88,000 a month in income. I, I don't even know what to do with $88,000 a month. I mean, I, I could figure it out pretty Yeah, yeah you could figure it out really quick. But, but that, that's like, still, that's a, yeah, that's insane. And, there's well, and also lot, those guys, there's a lot that. of guys in New York that were getting massive bonuses. Big I'm sure bonuses. they still are, but that's, and taking clients out for crazy stuff. It's, that happens in Beverly Hills. That happens in Dallas. I'm sure it happens everywhere. Just so someone doesn't call me an idiot, it's actually $83,333. <laughs> so pre-tax. Yeah. Pre-tax. But, you know, if they're working for, <laughs> yeah, if, they're, if they're working in, in, you know, Wall Street or PE, they're, they're only paying like what? Yeah. 12% tax on that. So exactly. also, I Good think people that live in New York 
are willing to spend more money regardless of how much they make. There's, it's something about like living in that city, being around so much high fashion, great restaurants, you have access to everything. So you kind of think a little bit less, like the budgeting doesn't really exist right. in the way it does in other places in the country. And I know that because like when I lived there, I made almost no money. I mean, I was a, a line cook, but I sure did experience all the high-end things. You know, I think that was just really important for me to, to, to get it all in, to take it all in, to live like New Yorkers live. Right. To- I was like kind of the, when I got to New York, I think I was so taken aback by it that I, I, I like reverted to the opposite. Like I tried to be cheaper than everybody. <laughs> didn't last long no no it did because i I had a goal of wanting to buy a house here in in new york city and i was like i there's no way in hell i'm going to be able to buy a house if i keep living like the rest of the sommeliers around me so i was like i'm going to continue to save as much as possible and then see what happens and i achieved that american dream good for you (laughs) i'm curious when did aaron when did you leave per se to because you work for what with the wine Italian wine merchants was that yeah so I left per se in 2007 and started working at Italian wine merchants which really opened my eyes to that that's where I fell in love with wine I was a cook there so I wasn't like hands-on wine but obviously around a lot of it and Did you some ever people work with Mike Marcelli that name is very familiar uh, Talia was there at the time hi. Um, she's now gone on to do really big things. There were a bunch of people that I really still have really good relationships with, but everyone was so passionate. Nobody works in wine at that level for the money because um, you don't make much. Um, so it was the, all these like young people that were really just at the beginning of their wine careers and were super passionate. And we would go out after work and go to wine bars. Like we weren't going to like rowdy dive bars. We were always going to wine bars and buying expensive wines and really kind of just like trying to experience as much as we could. That's awesome. Fun. But you never, did you ever work for Joe and Mario group? owned yeah. it then, right? With, um, yeah. with what's his yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's Joe what and Mario. And um, what was his name? Esposito was his yeah. last, last name. I can't remember. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was the three of them. I think Joe and Mario sold to whoever the third partner was after I left. So they don't still, they're not still part of it. But, but they then, were a big part of it then. I mean, the Bastianich wines made up a pretty big portion of the inventory. And some of them were really good. Uh, it was, you know, just, it was so incredible to focus on this one country and be able to really learn so much about the wines that are produced in Italy. And at the time, Italy was still kind of up and coming. Like, I think it was still in the shadow of France because this was in the 2000s, like before 2010. And they were still, I felt like in a lot of ways, like as a country, Italy was like trying to prove itself and the wines that we were pouring were really good, but they, they weren't always as expensive. I mean, certainly there are expensive Italian wines, but at the time you could drink really great bottles of Italian wine and not spend a lot of money. So, you know, that was always great for me too, is to like walk in and ask one of my wine friends, like, what's the, I have $20 and I want a really good bottle of red, like point something out. And you could get it. Can you still do that? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you could, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. it, d- it also store, depends on the regions. Yeah. It depends on the different. regions. Mm-hmm. 
it's like because you used to be able to get you know a barolo for like 35 bucks and this was only a decade ago and i that's the interesting thing about it like i'm so glad you said that about italian wine because i've i've been saying that too is like italy's always had this chip on its shoulder when it came to france mm-hmm. and it, it it wasn't until recently that italy was like wait they finally realized like the light bulb went off like wait we don't have to like look to them we can do our own thing we can look back to our own history and and do do us mm-hmm. and and that's just like and that's what's happening in, in lots of other regions uh, throughout Italy right now. And just the wines are unbelievable. Yeah. I, I think if you if you can spit up to thirty dollars at thirty between twenty five and thirty dollars, I think you can get some of the best wines on the planet. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you're ta- you be talking retail. Or you're talking at a retail, restaurant? retail, retail. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But so, but those wines at a restaurant would cost forty fifty dollars. So mm-hmm. you're still yeah. you're still looking at a really affordable menu price as well depends on the markup but you're probably not spending over 60 dollars on something that would retail for for 30 or less yeah like i was just at a a restaurant in williamsburg missy which is a a, an awesome uh, italian restaurant that's talia's wife right yeah exactly (laughs) and i had a a bottle of um wine from slovenia but right on the border of of italy with friuli and slovenia and it was like 75 bucks it was awesome that's totally awesome i'm actually drinking it's blurry, so you probably can't see it. Oh, Elena Vol. Yeah, we just added this to our menu. We always have to have, I like to have a Chardonnay option, but I'm very choosy about what that one item is. And um, I really like her wine. How, so this is, this is cool. Cause I, you know, I follow you guys on Instagram and, and, and social media too. And like, you know, I got in 2018, Billy Durney asked me to, to help him put together a wine program yeah. for his, his newest restaurant, Red Hook Tavern, and then mm-hmm. also work at hometown. And we had a pretty ambitious wine list at hometown at the beginning. And I think part of it was like, there was no one like, like you're, you work there. Right. So like I, yeah. I was just a consultant. So I trained people. They didn't have like the, the floor presence, but how how did you turn the key and switch the gear on people to like recognize that you know wine and barbecues where it's at it's still a work in progress and i i've studied your list quite a bit actually and you kind of nailed it when you said like you're just able to do so much more with the new york clientele your price points are you can, you're able to go a lot higher than we can go. Our menu is really small. We started out with like 15 wines and I think now we're down to 12 and 12 feels like a really good number for us. And I've listened to the customers as much as I've listened to myself. So I know that, I know we have to have certain things. People will order a Chardonnay. They don't really care where it's from or who makes it, but they'll order it. So I'm committed to always having a Chardonnay presence, but then I get to determine which Chardonnay it is. And so I get to research and find producers that I'm excited to pour their wines and, you know, that I agree with how they're producing things. And I like the flavor profiles. And so that part of it's fun for me. I get to take, you know, I, I know I need to get this on the menu, but what this is, I get to really kind of determine it. We've also learned you know, that Texas pride is huge. So um, I've got two Texas wines on the menu. One of them is Southhold Farm and Cellar, which was up in North Fort for for a little while. Um, And I I really like what they're doing. I think they're going to get better every year. And so I really want to kind of always work with them and have some presence from them on our menu. 
And then we have the grower project, which is not necessarily the most delicious glass of wine. I mean, you're not going to drink it and be blown away, um, but it's a really great price point. It is a good, it's an enjoyable glass of wine. It's easy to drink. And it's from Texas, which we sell a lot of it. And I think it's because people know what Sangiovese is, even if you're not super familiar with wine and you see that it's from Texas and you're like, that's what I'm going to do. I want to support the Texas wine. And so my, we've been open for a little over a year and I've learned so much. Um, I've really started understanding where wine fits in barbecue. And I, I heard you say something similar to this on the Psalm TV, but I, I truly believe wine is a better barbecue pairing than beer or whiskey or anything else. Um, I think it's a little more subtle. I think you are able to enjoy more. Um, beer can be filling, right? Barbecue is mm -hmm. filling. I don't want to drink a ton of beer while I eat a ton of barbecue. And I think the structure of wine is, is so perfect. Can be, right? Depending on what the structure of that wine is. But wine can be so perfect for barbecue and really any meal. And so I love that we are able to do it. Now, people always ask, is the wine list going to get bigger? And I'm like, sure, when you guys start buying more. Um, so we're still in that phase of like trying to understand the barbecue consumer. But I, I definitely get more compliments about our restaurant having a wine option than almost anything else. I think people really like <clears throat> they want to open themselves up to the barbecue experience more. So we wanted to make it more inviting. And part of that is just having a bitter variety, a bigger variety of options for people. So like you may not be a beer drinker, so we have wine and it's a thoughtful wine list. And it's, you know, I, I think it's a good wine list. It's small, but it's thoughtful. And it's, and it's very, um, I think there's a lot of value in it. And then, you know, we also have a lot of sides. So like our, our whole mission when we opened our restaurant was how do we expand on the barbecue experience? Because when I met my husband and we were dating and he was really just beginning like this barbecue passion, I got really sick of eating at the same type of barbecue restaurant a lot. Same sides were offered, beer and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And I wanted a more, I wanted a better experience because I came from hospitality and I knew it was possible. But I loved watching the Psalm TV because you pointed out like, so acidity, acidity is like the most critical thing when it comes to wine and why wine is so great with barbecue. So I want to ask you, if you take acidity out of the equation, what's the next most important structural characteristic of wine for barbecue? I think tannin. Yeah. What would you say is like your ideal pairing? With which thing? Let's just say brisket, since that's we're in Texas. I'm in okay. Texas, and that's what brisket is king. I think I can't give you just one because I I think there's a few different things, even with like traditional Texas brisket. I think Sangiovese is awesome with mm -hmm. brisket. I think Sangiovese has everything that you want. It's got acidity. It's got tannins. It's got fruit. That fruit's high toned. So it, it's the contrast to the, the big base of brisket. The other one I really, really like, which kind of amplifies more of that, that, that richness is, is Cabernet Franc from the Loire. Mm -hmm. Like the best, the best flavor I've ever had in my mouth in my entire life was a 1977 Olga Raffo, uh Chinon with a slab of brisket. Wow. Nice. It literally, that's, it was, 
this was in 2015 and it's when i was like i was at hometown barbecue in brooklyn and i had to grab the tables like and i knew <laughs> wine and barbecue have always been good together but i was like fuck this has got to we got to do something about this it was like my like i don't know my I, I felt kind of like in Les Mis, like, you know, come, come work. Let's, let's go boys. We got to convince people. It's not just beer and whiskey, you know? <laughs> and I think, you know, had I worked actually on the floor of the barbecue restaurant in, in, cause we've paired back the list at hometown. Um, mm-hmm. I don't consult for them anymore. Billy and I are just friends and I call, I'm kind of like a consigliere to Billy. You know, we, we, we just talk about, it. I mean, he, Billy knows so much Billy, like, Billy's arguably the the savant of of food and wine because the guy gets like into it and then it's just yeah. like a rabbit hole and he's like done check I know what like I mean and he's a continuous student about it though and you probably have watched that trajectory too you've seen it oh it's amazing I mean I saw from like I felt like day one to now and just like you know he was crushing you know just big reds from whomever to now like drinking Salos mm-hmm. and like you know, being able to blind the difference between Fourier and Rumier, you know, I mean, I, I have people be like, oh, that's easy to do. Well, I don't ever get the chance to have them both together. So, like, <laughs> you know, we paired it back because you to have a wine menu at any kind of restaurant, you really need someone to speak about it. And, yeah. you know, we put notes on it and it's just even here, it, it's people appreciate it and and people like it. We, we sell a, a fair amount of wine, but we, we paired it down to like six or seven uh, mm-hmm. selections we only have one which we don't anymore because we sold it um we had one bottle option that was only available by the bottle right. everything else is by the glass but we had like 50 when we yeah. first started like because billy wanted to make a statement and i think it was the right thing to do and i still think it is you know i have a dream of a of a restaurant in my head that i'm trying to to, to concept out but you know it, it won't be america it won't be like what you think of barbecue but it, it's definitely there's fire there's meat and there's wine. That's uh, great. No, that's great. And it's and if it feels like that there's sort of an understanding now how barbecue and wine work well together. I think yeah. a lot of people and and throughout doing this this podcast and I and I I reached out to Erin what seven eight months ago because I I could see what she was doing and I've always felt like barbecue and wine were the perfect pairing. In my dream, I always wanted to open up in Napa or Sonoma a barbecue joint because I thought oh, that's perfect. And the other people come in, you can introduce them to so many different things. Uh, that's I don't think that's ever going to happen. But then when I, I saw, I think it could slay. I mean, like mm-hmm. it would be like, you know, top brisket and cult cabs. Like I'm not joking you. Like when I I'm not joking you. I don't, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I when we were at uh, Trevina. You know, Trevenia is this beautiful patio and uh, people would come in the middle of the summertime and they'd be, they, the, the dish it was known for was this braised short ribbon polenta dish. And they'd be like in 120, it felt like 120 degree heat eating the braised polenta, but goddamn, they got to have the biggest, boldest, you know, cult cab. So it'd be like Harlan <laughs> or, or hundred acre or something like that. And they, you see them sweating and just like, <laughs> pow, like hate eating every moment of it <laughs> hate eating you just had lunch. to do it and you like come over as a server and like dab their foreheads like you can do it buddy um but i, I think i think napa you would you would just you would kill a napa or something yeah like i just yeah. but, but I, I i like the idea and then when i heard that billy was doing like i just felt there's not a lot of barbecue places that put a focus on their wine and i 
I, I knew Aaron's background because we had talked before, but then when I saw when Spring Branch opened, it's perfect. And it's also, it's not 100% barbecue centric. There are meals, things that you can get yeah. that are off the menu, I mean, that are off the barbecue menu. But I always think like at Loro, um, uh, that Aaron Franklin, I feel like they're kind of missing the boat on like, I, I feel like, uh, you know. Yeah, they've Tyson. got the right food menu. Yeah. But they're, you know, it's actually more casual than it seems because that's, that's like true counter service. Are they cocktail centric? Is that kind of how they? Yeah, they have a lot of cocktails. They do have a lot of cocktails. But so they, it's similar to what you said, the floor presence. We have that issue. In fact, I think in the very first interview I did for Spring Branch with Kevin before we were doing wine podcasts and we were talking just about Spring Branch, he's like, what's one of your biggest challenges is we didn't hire wine professionals. Um, We can't afford to hire wine professionals. We hired people to run a register and we trained them as quickly as possible to learn our, our food menu and to understand barbecue. And then on top of that, we're throwing wine. Some of them had never opened a wine bottle before. Like I pull out a wine key and they're like, what is that? In fact, I just threw away. I just threw away. It's not even a wine key. The, the crank. Oh yeah. Nice. I, saw, yeah. I was like, who brought this in? If you brought it in, I'm throwing it away. I will pay you back, but we don't use these. Like, you know what I'm going to do next time I guess some somewhere, I'm going to have that in my back pocket and use that as my wine opener. <laughs> so funny. Um, be like, excuse me. And then you're like, eh. um, but, but in all uh. fairness, like we've trained them as much as we have time for and just kind of threw them to the wolves. And I had, when we pared everything down, cause we pared it down slowly. Like there were things that I just felt like were maybe a little too expensive or too hard to pronounce. And it wasn't just our guests. It was primarily my employees. Like, are they selling it or not? They're not selling it. Okay. Well, is it, is it a burgundy wine? Okay. They're not selling it cause they're not comfortable saying it right. first of all. And so that's not good. So I took the, I took good wines off our menu because I thought this just doesn't make sense for us. I have to make my employees comfortable. Again, this is why Texas wine, they can always remember where it's from. Farmer, farmer wines have such a great story and it's a story that they can resonate with. So they remember it and it has to be a straightforward name. I, I have a lot of wines that I love that are really hard to pronounce and none of them will ever be on our menu because I don't want to make my employees uncomfortable. What's the hardest one to say that you're thinking of in your head? I'm curious. I'm probably saying it wrong, but do you remember La Huberlu? La Hoop? No, I've never no, had it was La Huberlu. A, it's a Loire, super light-bodied Cab Franc. I call it a hamburger wine because to oh, me, nice. it's like it's like eating a hamburger outside in Texas in the summertime. That's yeah, the that red chilled wine. Red, yeah. That's the red wine I would I would drink. But a lot of the French stuff. I'm thinking French, but uh, there's a lot of wines that are hard to pronounce. But a lot of French stuff is particularly hard for our staff. So we try to stay away from it. Also, just old world labels are challenging. Not to say that I don't sell old world wines, but I'm really aware of how much I throw at them. Like how many things on the menu do they have to remember because there's no information that they can find on the label. So that's good information for people like that are listening to this or watching this to know that these are the challenges that you do face. Old world labels, Kevin usually don't have any indication of the grape you have to know and have studied enough and know the regions to say like what he's holding up um look at all the words on it (laughs) 
you it's have to Fiermonte. <laughs> yeah, Fiermonte. What the hell is that? So Amarone, people have heard of that, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. And then what then it's Della Valpolicella and then Allegrini. So who like who's the producer? Obviously, we know it's Allegrini, mm-hmm. but Fiermonte is a single vineyard. Amarone Della Valpolicella is the wine, but it doesn't tell you what the grapes are. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's and especially if you've met like a lot of these probably your employees might not have even had wine before or had wine this is much easier a, yeah, yeah. Crema Chard, you know? <laughs> yeah well, and and this is this is where it's really important to think about have an awareness of who is involved here who are your customers and who are your employees my employees are not going out and spending money on these high-end wines we discount everything when we've got bottles open after two days, like we send them home with our employees because we want them to be able to taste things. But like, this is not in their daily lifestyle and it's not going to be, and I don't want to force that on anybody. Um, I don't think that that's, it's not my job to tell people how they should spend their money. And so to become aware and have training and become like experienced in the wines, well, if you're not able, if you never have access to them, how do you do that? And so we try to create access points, but I also just recognize that when I'm putting a list together that I have to be very realistic and very respectful of the people that work for me, because if, if they're, we do table service, when somebody orders a bottle, you know, we'll, we'll go to the table and order it and, and open it. And I'm not here at night almost ever, you know? So, and that's usually when bottles are sold. It's, it's an employee. And I've told them like, screw all the, screw all the things that you have to do. If you can successfully get the bottle open, you've won, right? So all you have to do is make sure you don't spill the bottle on the guest. And I've shown them and we've trained them on how to do bottle openings. But my real goal is to take away any anxiety that comes with it because we want them to want to sell bottles and they will over time get more comfortable and it'll be fun, right? So now I think a year in, we've got most of our front of house employees have been with us since the beginning. They're night and day when it comes to opening bottles, except for that corkscrew I found earlier. But <laughs> I'm like not even sure who brought that in. But um, probably your husband. Yeah, <laughs> no, was, yeah. Patrick. Real. Patrick's little joke. He knows how much it irks you. For real. But um, no, it's and and I think they're starting to get kind of into wine and passionate about it. None of them are going to hang out at the wine bar just, you know, pounding half glasses of wine for the experience of it. But like, they do have a respect for wine that they didn't before they started working with us. And I think that's, that's fantastic. But that's the reality of barbecue and wine is, uh, unless you're going to have this budget that allows you to hire wine professionals that also want to sell barbecue, like it's a niche and it's hard, it's hard to find those experienced people. So be willing to train and be willing to, to loosen the standards enough to, you know, make sure people don't feel uncomfortable. Now, now Jeff, if someone wanted to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if someone oh, was watching this or listening and they want to open a, they're opening a restaurant in Los Angeles or they want to add a wine program, do you do consulting? Is that- of course, yeah. It's my favorite thing to do. Okay. I like to play restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and then walk away. That's, I, totally I don't know. It's that. like, I build, it depends on the, the, the client, but like, I never recommend the, the just build it and then walk away thing. There's got to be kind of like, I, I like consult for this hotel restaurant in Piedmont and it's been like a four-year process. And like, I'm on the, I'm on the day crescendo part of it. So it's like, you know, weaning them off of me 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I have like bi-monthly calls with the sommelier now, and it's mainly just to hear him vent. I'm like, I'm more like a therapist now, but that's part of <laughs> yeah, it. You it's know? Part of yeah. it right? yeah. Restaurant industry is tough all over the world. Like in, in dealing, you know, that it taught me a lot to, to open a, a hotel and a restaurant in Italy during COVID. It was crazy. Crazy. That's um, amazing. That's a whole but, other podcast. But yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. Uh, okay. Cause my passion, it's interesting. Cause like, I don't know. A lot of people think if you've worked in New York city or you worked in uh, a fancy restaurant that you're a fancy one, like, my passion, and I think I'm in line with Aaron on this, is just like, it's just to get good wine in the mouth. Like it doesn't, I don't, price point doesn't matter to me. My passion is to find the best $10 bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Like that's way harder than it is. If you give me $1,000 and say, find a good bottle of wine, give me $10, $1,000, I do it a nanosecond. Yeah. $10, that's homework. That's mm-hmm. hard. The business of restaurants and so many people, this is like, you know, so many people like to throw money at, at they want to play restaurant. They want to be owners of a restaurant. They want ever the restaurant business is you could be a gazillionaire and have the most successful business on the planet in your industry. The restaurant business is different. The restaurant <laughs> business will eat you out and spit you out and doesn't care. It's there's so many factors. There's so many like roller pins of, of spikes that come at you because it's a fluid dynamic business that, involves lots of people mm-hmm. and just the the economics of it the way it's set up in the united states and even globally like the people who work in restaurants aren't necessarily it's kind of like teachers they're, they're never paid enough right to deal with other human beings is the hardest thing in the world mm-hmm. um and take shit from students or take shit from customers it's still taking shit you know <laughs> and, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's hard and it's it's mentally exhausting at the same time restaurants are the most fun thing in the world uh, cause when you, when you, when you get that guest, who's just like, I can only imagine at the barbecue restaurant, they're sitting down, they have that glass of wine, they bite into the, 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 the meal. And then they have the glass of wine and they kind of sit, you can watch them they'll sit back and you just know how content, how in that moment you've captured happiness. And that's because of what you've done. That's the thing that just always keeps me like connected to the industry. Yeah. And, and that's what came across too on your hometown episode in uh, on Psalm TV was your pauses and your enjoyment. Like because it was it was great barbecue and a great wine and it was just it was nice. And I'll put a link below for people to sign up Thank to. You. And it's not it's it's a it's so well priced for so much, so much that not, not, content, not yeah. so much content, not just what you have great content there and you're talking like when you went it, but there's so much great stuff, but there's beyond. So it would definitely be an eye-opening for so many people. My favorite, it's funny that you said that what you said, and thank you for the compliment, is like people like will DM me and what they're like, they're like, you genuinely really, really enjoy the food. And I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah. And if I don't, I'll let you know. Like I am for good or for bad, I'm a little too honest sometimes. But you're and it was you, it's you. You could tell it's truly you. It didn't feel like you were <laughs> it just felt like you're talking to anybody. But it's but it I I love that aspect of it and is there a because right now because you live in brooklyn right is that what you said i live in brooklyn so do you have any other barbecue places that you love other than billy's other than hometown um you know what that's i i'm i'm kind of bad uh, about that i need to explore there's there's more barbecue places that have opened up recently Mm -hmm. i just have not i don't go out very often uh not just because of covid it's just expensive here and i'm i'm 
I'm a good cook. Uh, so, and I have a good wine list at my house. So it's, it's, it's a little better value. I barbecue a lot at my house. So you can come mm -hmm. to, to my, my apartment. Um, we'll put your address below. Exactly. Please. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, spoiler alert. I have no you know, idea. let me, let me think. I mean, I, I, I do you have any places outside of, outside of New York that you enjoy or that you remember? I like, mean, I'm going to Charleston, um, on Sunday and I like stopping at the whole hog place. Um, oh, Rodney Scott. Rodney I Scott. love going to Rodney Scott's. Yeah. Yeah. That's another place. Like I'm tempted to like go pick it up to go and then meet my friend at their house and like just have a good bottle of wine with that because they don't have wine there either. Yeah. But like a whole hog and wine, that's next level. I mean, like yeah. you look in, in like, if you ever watch Sip Trip, we have a whole episode in um, Sardinia and Sardinia is the whole hog capital of the world. Like you get these beautiful suckling pigs, you crack into them, you just like, Rah! and then you're like crushing like cannon out. Um, uh, Wait, I just, I just had a really good idea. I think we should team up because my husband's known for whole hog in Houston. And in fact, Rodney Scott is the person who taught him how to do whole hog. Oh, that's awesome. And he used to build the pits like Rodney did, like the real shitty, the brick like, ones, 25 dot. No, oh. um, it was like style? metal siding. Um, there were some pits, bricks involved, but it wasn't the cinder block pit. oh that it was like the cheaper he even told us when he was teaching him how to make it like these are good for like three or four cooks and then you just throw all the materials away we've since upgraded it would be so fun to do a whole hog thing in sardinia with That'd wine be amazing. And barbecue and we could get rodney there and i just always want to sign me up yeah yeah that's we could when you say it it makes it happen it'll actually there. happen somehow it's, it's Make sure that makes it into the podcast so that it's on record. Okay. Not, yeah. uh, and we put it, you've, I, I believe, just put it out into the universe. And mm -hmm. someone would be like, check, let's do this. Yeah. There's got to be somebody that just wants to underwrite this, right? <laughs> and not make any money, but just like, I want to see this happen so badly. I'm going to fund it. There's people that like that fun. I think still there's yeah. some people. Yeah. That have... there's, there's billionaires out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we can help you have a lot of fun. So my main job. So now I, I in October of 2020, I got hired by the Brooklyn Nets. So they opened a, um, uh, a, a restaurant inside the arena. And so I opened that for them. And oh, now okay. I, uh, I hired a team that that's handling wine there. And then I'm now helping them with other projects that they have on deck. Wow. And then I just got as of August 1st, I'm now the Wine Enthusiast Magazine reviewer for Northern Italy. That wow. is awesome. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's killer. Yeah, congrats. That, will that involve some traveling? Absolutely. Awesome. That is. I got to keep my diamond medallion stack. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that we miss? And also, too, what are all the different ways that people can get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is through Instagram, which is at Jeff Porter Wine um dm whatnot uh for i i give like i'm flying you know I'm, I'm doing this thing tomorrow in dallas where i'm flying out a party of 10 doing a wine thing for them and then the next week i'm doing the same with keanu glasgow but i speak about wine and food and italian culture and whatnot to anybody who's willing to listen and if they want to pay me that's even better that's even better yeah definitely yeah. that's what's there any other questions that you had aaron that we missed off our list no i mean you, I, I loved talking because I loved interviewing you because you have so much barbecue experience and wine experience. And it was just really 
I feel like you're the more experienced version of me. So oh no, no, you you do it day in and day out. I mean, I Billy and I, you know, and I, I went down to Florida to to we we opened the restaurant down in Florida, and it went really well. And we had a pretty we had even more significant wine program down there, but we had to scale it back again too, just because the we it, it's it's a really deep call cocktail culture that was coming in and, and yeah. so that was hard to fight against but i i'm a an optimist and I, i'm a i fully a field of dreams kind of guy like if you build it they will come mm-hmm. and i i feel like because of the zeitgeist of wine and zeitgeist of barbecue the synergies are going to continue to fold mm-hmm. together and we're gonna we're gonna see more across the country and i for anybody who's in the barbecue restaurant business add some more wine to your list be thoughtful mm-hmm. about it don't don't go with bullshit stuff it's got to be it's got to be good just mm-hmm. like I always tell people, just like anything in, in restaurants is like, why would you skimp on anything? Like, I know this is, this is going to be my hot take before we go. Sommeliers love drinking shitty beer, right? They drink Bodello, they drink whatever. It's garbage, right? It's great when it's cold. You can still get a great Pilsner. You can still get a great cold, crisp, fine beer, that is more thoughtful, that is made by an artisan, that's made wherever you live, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a beer like that. And I just don't understand why anybody would shortchange any part of their program for anything. You know, you move, and people are like, oh, well, the finances will move the finances around. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it, right? Shit well, or get off. Yeah. And there's good economic wine made by thoughtful producers Mm -hmm. using sustainable practices. So when people say that, I'm like, you're just not doing enough homework. Like you're just, that's the lazy answer because you can stay in the 10, 12 bottle dollar, a bottle range and still have great producers that Mm -hmm. you can be proud of. I mean, I'm doing it for the the Barclays center. I'm sorry. (laughs) The Barclays center. I'm super excited about this at the, the main reason I took the job was they they were giving me the opportunity to put good wine in concessions. Right. Mm -hmm. So normally you go to an arena and it's, like $15 for literally the shittiest wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's disappointing. And so I'm introducing a box wine program because there's great box wine, right? Mm -hmm. So the box wines that we're getting are thoughtfully made. They just are an alternative packaging because one, it's environmentally friendly, it's cost effective. So in a box of wine, you know, you're getting four bottles of wine in three liters. It lasts longer Mm -hmm. and we can still, we're still charging 12 bucks at a arena premium but you're getting a glass of wine that is literally worth that amount mm-hmm. um, in quality. Uh, and so, like you said, I, I think in the United States right now, if anybody has a bullshit wine list at anything, they're just being lazy. Mm-hmm. And you guys are actually kind of, it's a similar thing because you're selling to a specific market and, and the masses essentially. Right. The consumer may not care, but that's not the point because right. they're going to drink I it care. regardless. It's you have the ability, like, in his position and in my position, we have the ability to present your options and you're going to choose a Sangiovese if you want a Sangiovese or a Chardonnay if you want a Chardonnay. And you may not care that the producer is fifth generation, former architect, and just passed it on to her daughters. You may not care, right? But I care and it doesn't matter because you're going to still enjoy that glass of wine regardless because it's a good glass of wine. And so that's the point is that you can put good wine on a menu at a good price and your customers can be happy and you can be happy and everybody can be doing the right thing for the world. It's not that hard, but it's just a little bit harder than going the easy route and getting like mass produced high volume wine. That's not good for the environment. And, and people probably, know. a lot of people don't like wine because that's all they've had. 
Right. They say it gives me headaches. Well, guess what? There's no, there's no label of what's in your wine. So there's a reason you're getting a headache because it's a bunch of chemicals. It's yeah. a bunch mm-hmm. of shit, mm-hmm. you know, shit in, shit out. Right. That's for, yeah. that's, that's, my another, that's another, that's another book. You've, you've had so many shirts. Out. In that's there, your, guys. That's your you third a, memoir book right there. We have an entire <laughs> line of t-shirts and books. Uh, this has been, this is actually like, we're brainstorming. We're throwing everything at the wall. It is. This is, but, but it's been wonderful talking to you and, and it's, we like this to be casual and cover top, but this, this is, it's been so comfortable talking to you. Yeah. You feel like you're our people. And I, I had met you just through watching some TV. And now I, I, I so appreciate you being on our show and, know, and hopefully a year from now or nine months for sometime again, maybe we do a, a part two, or if, if you have new things coming up or if we have that, you know, if we're all flying out for a whole hog or something somewhere. Well, if anybody watches some TV or if y'all know people who make TV, I'm, I really want to make, more of this stuff and i think if mm-hmm. people w- watch it they like you're good at they, it you enjoy like it. it's yeah it's your, yes you're natural so it's fun it's, that's uh, it's my passion to share joy okay well let's uh let's see if we could help make that happen that's another thing there we go throwing out to the world so thank you jeff so thank much. you all very much thank you well that was so great with jeff that was yeah he that was i because I, I didn't know all those things that we talked about and then we covered so many different topics so hopefully people uh really enjoyed that I know I didn't I did too he was I I don't think I've ever laughed so hard on a podcast yeah, yeah. especially too like the I felt like it went down roads that I never thought it would and he's he's got such a great sense of humor he's a great personality and but yeah no, that was spectacular so let's talk about yeah. what's going on in the Fijis world yeah we've got a lot of things going on we're doing some wine dinners coming up and so I'm working with Sean Beck who recently left the H-Town restaurant group, which is Hugo Ortega's restaurant group. Um, and he'd been with them for many, many years, but he's going to do an event here and we'll probably do some events with him in the future oh, cool. as well. And then we have a Treaty Oak cocktail pairing dinner coming up on August 28th. Oh, so that's um, going up really quick. Yeah. So it's about a week and a half away. Really excited about that as well. Our menu, our food menu, I think is going to be something like where we're really kind of getting into our chef roots a little bit and being creative and oh, um, yeah, going outside of our normal day-to-day menu. Um, Is that, can you buy tickets off of directly off your website? Like, yeah. So I, if you go to our website, there's a calendar of events and in the calendar of events, you'll find the Treaty Oak dinner and there's a link to buy tickets. Okay. I'll put a link. I'll continue from now on a link to the calendar of events. I don't know if I've always put that, but that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so what is that? So does that include that a meal plus some pairings and stuff? Is that? Yeah. So it's five courses, five food courses with pairings. So five um, treaty oak pairings. And then it's going to start with a little cocktail reception with food. So okay. like when you come, it's, you, we don't immediately sit down. There's going to be um, like a, some time to kind of walk around try some different light bites um, and then we'll sit down and start dinner. Okay. So excited about that. And then I was just in your neck of the woods. Yes, you were. Over at Heritage Barbecue Invitational. The, Somehow uh, we didn't hang out. That's We didn't hang out. <laughs> Next but year. let me tell you, San Juan Capistrano was very beautiful. How um, nice is that? It's a, it's a little, <laughs> it's south of, I'm in Los Angeles for people that are watching. I. It's south of John Wayne Airport. Okay. Yeah. Um, so southern, it's, it's southern Orange, Orange County. County. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit south of Newport. It's very nice. And Heritage is right by the uh, 
they're right by the mission, the San Juan Capistrano. They're across the street from the mission. Yeah. It's a really, really cute area right where the restaurant is. Um, like I said, you're across the street from the mission. It's, it's really cute, very like idyllic. Like I wanted to take a bunch of pictures because I was like, this is definitely, this place was not built for Instagram, but it certainly is very Instagrammable. <laughs> so yeah, really cute spot. And the people that run Heritage Barbecue are fantastic. Yeah, um, Danny and Brenda are just wonderful people there. So hospitable. They took care of all of us. And there were a lot of us. I think there were like 40 or 50 uh, pitmaster all, teams. All like all-star group of people. It was fun. So like on the first day we were there some people came in earlier we we got there on thursday and went to dinner and then on friday morning danny was like i'm gonna pick you guys up we're gonna go get breakfast and i didn't have any information i didn't know where we were going or what time or anything he just texted us in the morning it was like can you be ready in 30 minutes sure and so we met up with him and the next thing i know tuffy stone um steven rossler like it was a small group there was six of us but like I'm just sitting there going, oh my God. So I'm sitting next to Tuffy Stone and we're talking about his recent trip to Brazil. And um, some of the nicest people are the ones that you don't think are going to be very nice, right? Because they're like big names, but mm -hmm. like Tuffy's as genuine and yeah. down to earth as it gets. And then, um, and then we all went back to Heritage after breakfast and we weren't hungry, but lo and behold, like trays and trays and trays. Oh, was that when the video out. of the trays came out? Like okay. an hour after breakfast and I'm like, oh, I'm so full. And then these trays come and I'm like, I'll make room. Gorgeous I will trays. make room. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's, it's, I think barbecue people have the most fun when they're together and not cooking barbecue, but eating it and yeah. just kind of enjoying each other. Um, and that's, that's what that first day was on Friday was everybody just kind of arriving and having fun and wanting to hang out before the event. Cause the event was certainly a lot of fun too, but it's, it's just always more fun when you're not working yet. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and we, you know, it's like Texas people, you know, Robert Sierra, Isol from 2M, there was just this big group of people and we realized like we, we really don't get together unless there's a festival. Like we don't get to see you know, the guys that work in San Antonio or Austin or Dallas yeah, or Fort it's... Worth. In fact, we don't even see the other Houston people. Um, so it's kind of fun to have that excuse to like get together. Did Misty and Russell come to this? They did. Oh, yeah. And then they flew so nice. from the festival. They left to go on their uh, Hawaiian vacation. Oh, the trip that I think I like, Russell was talking about weeks in advance to see I because he was looking forward to it very much. Counting down the days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's... Uh... I wish I could have come. I couldn't because of circumstances I wasn't able to, but that's, but it's, and they'll have next year. So if people are watching next year's heritage, so, so it was in July, right? No, August. August. August yeah. August, okay. when, I don't even know what month it anymore. So, it, <laughs> so next August, if people are listening or watching and they want to go, tickets go pretty fast and it looked like a huge turnout and music and just looked, and there's also too a lot of local LA places, places that are smaller that they're giving opportunities mm -hmm. to. I saw a number of people that I that are there, they do pop-ups and stuff here yeah. in Los Angeles. So that was so it was a nice mix of like the heavy hitters, like the toughies to all the way to yeah. I got to do some shout-outs real fast because we were right next to two local oh yeah, you were um, by LA A's Barber. No, Herc. You were by um we Herc. were by Herc and they so Herc's barbecue and they are they were great. And I really liked the dish he was serving. Um, I know he's kind of just doing pop-ups and like just coming nice up in guy. the barbecue game. But I, I from the bite I had, there's definitely a lot of potential. And um, 
excited to see where he goes. And I could, I think it's really cool that so many people in the LA area and like in Orange County came, they had all the Texas barbecue gear on, like people were wearing shirts and hats. And I mean, everybody was wearing something and it just made me realize like the stretch that Texas barbecue has. But since we were next to Herc's, we were hearing a lot of people like, oh, where are you located? Or people coming in going, man, I've been following you guys. Like, where's your next pop up? So like, there's definitely a lot of hype. And then are you familiar with Ragged Tooth Barbecue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so they yeah. Were, he, he they, we were sandwiched for, for in between them. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, he he moved. I think he lives in Temecula now or something, right? Yeah, or something. that's but where he, they Yeah, he worked for um, with Moose, with Moose. Andrew and Michelle for a long, long time. And that's when I met him. And then I think I think he does stuff with them every so often when they need additional bodies. Yeah. But he's, oh, cool. So Ragged Tooth, okay. So that's, Yeah, so we were right in between the two of them. So I felt like we had a very like, Cali yeah little thing going on yeah and McGillas I think they were there and there I think there's A's barbecue or a, I think it's a I, yeah, I think it's A's it barbecue. was a really long list so if they weren't if they weren't from Texas and I didn't already know about right them and they you. weren't right next to me unfortunately <laughs> I didn't get to walk around very much but no there was definitely a good amount of people California barbecue well, Californians doing Texas barbecue on the list. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's growing. It's it's you know taking baby steps. And you you didn't get a chance. Did you get a chance to go to Moose Craft Barbecue? No, we tried so hard. Here's the thing: every time we wanted to go to LA, people would talk us out of it because they'd be like, "It's going to take three hours." That's you know, true. it's like it's two hours because we got, Friday was going to be the day we went. After breakfast, we were talking about going because a couple of people had a car, and the locals were like. Friday is not a good day to Friday drive to LA. Traffic's going to be a nightmare. It's going to take you two hours there and two hours back. And so then we were kind of like, uh, we don't really want to spend lot, all yeah. day in the car. So we didn't. That's probably my big regret is that we made it all the way out there and didn't go to Moose and didn't didn't really like go into LA. But um, but we will have to come back. Yeah. And if you and Patrick come, there's, you know, there's Moose, there's Bert, you can see. Like there's a lot of, yeah. yeah. Well, Bert really wanted us to come to his new restaurant the mediterranean restaurant at the beverly hilton yeah and that's the kind of food i mean i i like really really like i mean you could just give me a dinner of dips and breads yeah and that's all i need yeah um and so i was like if we did make it into la i would probably do mousse for lunch and then um go to bert's restaurant for dinner yeah i forget what What it's called i think it's with an s i think yeah like sab sabata or something Something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But that's no. And, and Bert's an amazing cook. So he would be like, yeah, he's always had funky ideas. And it wasn't Bert. Bert was at the festival. Bert was there. I think I saw a video of him. Yeah, Bert, Bert was there for Slab. Yeah, he did skewers. I didn't get to eat any, um, but he was doing some kind of really labor intensive skewers. Yeah. Which we but, laugh. We're like, come on, Bert, you know better like, than that. <laughs> that sounds like something that every so often you would do. That's cool. That's that's really, really nice. And it's nice that you got a chance to see that's a, a beautiful part of California. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, probably 105 in the city. So moves would be wonderful to see, but also it would have been a nice hot drive there and back. Well, it was pretty hot where we were. I was really looking forward to like the ad- well, it wasn't as cool. 74 degrees and breezy. It wasn't. Um, but it was hot Uh, i I mean when you were on the if you were on the water it was you'd get a good breeze but where we were it was like we were just in a little too off the coast it was a park in dana point right isn't that kind of where they have the festival yeah i I was surprised i was like whoa i packed 
for the weather that everybody tells me to expect in California. And what I got was Houston weather with less humidity. Yeah, no, it's, and when I, even when I lived in Santa Monica, if I lived off the coast, I wasn't on the water, it got those hot days in the summer. And I thought, yeah. this is not how it's supposed to be. Cause the air, cause sometimes it's, it's stale or it's not moving. So it's, yeah. it's just hot. Yeah. We've, that's, we've had a hot, we've very, I think everywhere, but it's been a hot summer. So do you have right now, do you have any specials at Fijis that you want to, or anything new special wise? Well, we just started doing um, Tex-Mex Thursdays. Okay. Um, we'd previously done some specials for like Cinco de Mayo and we used to have enchiladas on the menu and they were always really popular and people ask and ask and ask, like, when are we going to do stuff again? So Tex-Mex Thursday is designed to be like a revolving menu of Tex-Mex dishes. So sometimes oh, cool. it might be the enchiladas. We'll probably revisit the tacos we did for Cinco de Mayo. But our guys have been really playing around with other things. So we did a whole hog um, taco the first night that was that we did Tex-Mex Thursday. And it's, uh. it's like one of my favorite taco bites that I've had in a while. And for anyone think listening, people, we, most people probably haven't had that before. We make the, the tortillas in house. Okay. The long pause. <laughs> we make the tortillas in house. I don't make the tortillas. I don't know how to make tortillas, but we have people that make tortillas and they are experts. They grew up making tortillas and we, we let them handle it. Um, but yeah, that's what Tex-Mex Thursday is. And it's all day on Thursdays. So from okay. 11 to nine, it's so that's a big ranch. deal. That's cool. That's really fun. That's nice. Yeah. That's a, but it's being Tex-Mex Thursday doesn't mean you can't get other items. It's just, that's. Oh yeah. It's just the special we're offering that day special. is going to be a Tex-Mex item. Oh, cool. Ah. Gosh, again, another reason why I wished I lived two blocks away. That would be, yeah. that's such a cool, <laughs> that's such a cool thing. And it's going to be revolving and changing. That's, that's awesome. And then you still have Wednesdays is still steak night. Wednesdays is still steak night and we are still doing kids eat free. Um, and that's been really big. We're doing right now. We have a, a back to school promo for online ordering because we know it's just kind of a really hectic time of year and it's hard to always get dinner on the table right now so we wanted to be part of that process to make things a little easier so when you order online you just type in back back to school all as one oh, word in the promo box and you get a discount um and we'll run that through the 26th so it'll go through next friday okay cool um and we're getting ready for a really busy fall we've got a lot of events coming up people can still ship nationwide with gold belly yes yeah gold belly is really taking off like that partnership a lot and um it's super easy so yeah go to goldbelly.com you can just type in fijis barbecue and our options will come up yeah yeah and there's lots of different options sides massive amount of stuff and those sides yeah. are delicious you know they didn't when you order sides it's not something that's uh super photographable so i just uh they even a word i don't know if that's a word but i just <laughs> i just ate them and they're wonderful the carrots are so thank killer. you was, yeah so thank you yeah that's yeah that's they cool. really wanted us to do sides and we were like well we really like the sides don't sell well when we ship because mm -hmm. we'd shipped we had had that as an option in the past and people just wanted the meats and they were like no trust us have the sides our, those sites sell really well on gold belly it's like one of the top sellers yeah i know and i just i just it was super easy to order and they came cold and it was yeah, yeah you guys did a, a, an excellent job it was called, almost like a fun test to see and i wanted to photograph and film it but it just wasn't something that it was just something more yeah. i just needed to devour and it was wonderful it was nice it felt like i was 
Effie just for a moment. So that was, that, <laughs> that was really cool. We have a really fun one coming up next month. Thank you, Aaron, for taking the time. You guys are, are super busy and you have life and real stuff too. So it's been a, a challenging 24 hours for you. So I appreciate you coming on. I'm glad everything is doing okay. And uh, say hi to Patrick and cool. Will do.